You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Tuesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank John Hensley and Recreation Realty, offering essential real estate services since 1973 showing properties by appointment following safety protocols. Recreation Realty Nevada City locations are at Broad Street, also on Highway 20, 265-6565, nevadacountyproperties.net. And Tripp's Auto Body Shop, family-owned since 1954, expanding services to address community needs with curbside and email estimates, committed to protecting customers and vehicles. Open weekdays 8 to 5, Freeman Lane, Grass Valley, tripsautobody.com. After the NPR headlines and local weather, I'll be speaking with Taylor Wolf, analyst for Nevada County, about the latest news with the COVID numbers and situation in Nevada County. Also, we'll have water news with Steve Baker and a commentary from Mark Cunabury. At 6.30, we'll have a special program called Transition Times and its artists telling their stories of life in the pandemic. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines, followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President-elect Joe Biden today pledged to distribute 100 million doses of a coronavirus vaccine during the first three months of his administration. The 100 million shots in the first 100 days promise coming in an event in Delaware to introduce the president-elect's pandemic response team, though he noted there is no panacea. My first 100 days won't end the COVID-19 virus. I can't promise that. But, but we did not get into this mess quickly. We're not going to get out of it quickly. It's going to take some time. Biden calling on Americans to wear masks for the next 100 days to prevent further spread of the virus, saying he'll also mandate mask wearing in federal buildings and on public transportation. And he said it will be a national priority to get children back in the classroom. The Attorney General of Texas is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to block some states from voting in the Electoral College. Ashley Lopez of member station KUT in Austin reports he's suing to bar voting by electors from four battleground states. Republican Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is challenging elections held in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. In his lawsuit, he argues there was, quote, the appearance of voting irregularities in those states without providing evidence. Paxton also argues those states broke their own laws by changing voting procedures during the pandemic. Legal experts say it's highly unlikely the court will hear this challenge. Paxton is currently facing legal problems of his own. He was indicted in 2015 for securities fraud and is currently being investigated by the FBI following recent allegations he abused his office to benefit a wealthy donor. For NPR News, I'm Ashley Lopez in Austin. Election and cybersecurity expert Chris Krebs, who was fired by the Trump administration after speaking favorably about the integrity of the election, has fought a lawsuit over threatening remarks made by a lawyer for the president. Christopher Krebs in the suit claiming he's been subjected to death threats since Trump attorney Joseph Geneva appeared on TV calling for him to be, quote, drawn and quartered. Stocks closed higher today, buoyed in part by positive vaccine news. More from NPR's Scott Horsley. 
Pfizer shares jumped more than 3% as the first shots of its coronavirus vaccine outside of a clinical trial were given to patients in the U.K. Pfizer hopes to win a green light for its vaccine in the U.S. shortly after an FDA advisory committee meets on Thursday. Meanwhile, shares in Johnson & Johnson got a boost on word that results of a large-scale trial of its one-shot vaccine could be available in January. Both the S&P 500 index and the Nasdaq closed at new record highs. Stock in Tesla, which is set to join the S&P later this month, rose one and a quarter percent. The company's announced plans for a new $5 billion stock offering to help bankroll new factories and a new electric truck. Scott Horsley, NPR News. Washington. The Dow jumped 104 points today. The Nasdaq rose 62 points. This is NPR. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has announced who will be producing the Oscars, which will take place next spring. More from NPR's Mandelita Barco. In light of the continuing coronavirus pandemic, the Academy already moved the 2021 Oscars from February to April, but there's still no word if the award show will be in person or virtual. No hosts have been announced, but in a statement, the organization's president, David Rubin, and Academy CEO, Don Hudson, promised the award show will be innovative and re-envisioned. And they announced what they call a producing dream team for the Oscars. Filmmakers Steven Soderbergh and producers Jesse Collins and Stacey Scher. Soderbergh won a directing Oscar in 2001 for the film Traffic. Scher's credits include the Best Picture Oscar-nominated 2012 film Django Unchained. Collins has produced the 2019 Grammys, the BET Awards, and Soul Train Awards, among others. Mandalit del Barco, NPR News. The Democratic-controlled House is edging closer to signing off on a wide-ranging defense bill. It comes despite threats of a veto from President Trump and less lawmakers clamped down on social media companies he claims were biased against him during the election. Trump had a message on Twitter today saying he would veto the very weak National Defense Authorization Act unless it repeals a part of the communications code that shields Twitter, Facebook, and other social media giants from content liability. Trump also wants a provision that allows the rename of military bases currently named for Confederate leaders to be revoked. Crude oil futures prices stayed in narrow range. Oil down 16 cents a barrel to 45.60 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And taking a look at the weather. First, here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, low of 50 tonight, high of 66 tomorrow, partly cloudy through Friday. And then guess what? Rain likely Saturday through next week maybe up to four inches of rain total. Sacramento will have a low of 34 tonight, high of 65 tomorrow, partly cloudy Thursday and Friday with rain starting on Saturday through the middle of the week. And in Truckee, low of 15, high of 53, partly cloudy Friday with rain and snow starting Saturday running off and on through next Thursday. Highs are going to be in the low 40s with the lows around 17 degrees. Well, I'm speaking with Taylor Wolf with Nevada County, and this has become kind of a general thing. We try to do a weekly update about the COVID virus and where things look at this particular time. So um, I, I got a few questions for you. You did send out some information, and let's kind of go over some of that. First of all, let's start with the trends 
that um, are, are kind of uh, up to date for for this week. What do you see? Sounds good, yes, and thanks, Paul, for, for having me on again and allowing me to give a quick update about what we're seeing locally with Nevada County Public Health as far as COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, you know, we continue to see our cases increase. Um, this this week, we updated our dashboard yesterday, Monday afternoon, and our Monday updates represent three days, so it captures the weekends, both Saturday and Sunday, and then also cases that may come in Monday as well. Um, so we had a total of 209 new confirmed COVID-19 cases uh, for that Monday update. So quite significant, you know, around, let's say more or less 70 cases per day. And if we remember back to, you know, when we were back in the, the orange tier and then jumped to the purple tier in the state system, just for a little bit of perspective, um, you know, to stay out of the more restrictive purple tier that we are in now and have been for about a month, um, you need to be getting less than seven cases per day average. So we're seeing, you know, almost 10 times the daily cases right now than we were a few months ago. Um, So really high rates of community transmission. Also, I'd like to note you know, we have around 1,700 uh, cases on our dashboard right now, total, since the pandemic began and we had our first case in Nevada County. And 30% of our total COVID-19 cases are currently active, so people that possibly could still be transmitting uh, the virus in some way, shape, or form. So, again, very high rates of community transmission here. We've also seen... Um, our hospitalizations uh, tick up. We're sitting usually somewhere below the the 20 uh, current hospitalizations. And over the past week, um, very unfortunately, we've seen more deaths, uh, primarily in our skilled nursing facilities. So, so, again, some of our most vulnerable populations, which is uh, truly tragic. Um, and really what these cases come back to is still uh, social gatherings being a significant driver for COVID-19 spread in Nevada County with the high community transmission that we are seeing. We're also seeing it in, in many sectors like healthcare, including those skilled nursing facilities we just spoke about, food service, schools and daycare and offices. So we continue to remind people, ask people, we know the holidays are exceptionally difficult to not gather and do all the traditions uh, we're used to and love this time of year. Um, but with with what we're seeing in the trends here locally, and again, these aren't unique to Nevada County, we're seeing this statewide and nationally, um, the way we can slow this is really by refraining from those social gatherings, don't mix households, maintaining that social distance, wearing your mask when you're out in public, and of course, just being extra diligent. If you are going to work or spending out time Uh, let's say doing some holiday shopping, please do put those um, modifications in place like masking and social distancing. So uh, is there any indication uh, these numbers might be a reflection of uh, Thanksgiving? That's a definite possibility. You know, we usually see numbers from a certain time period hit our dashboard and hit the state's numbers. Um, probably at least two weeks after the event itself. So this could be uh, the beginnings of seeing some of those numbers come in from gatherings around the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, And, you know, the state last week on Thursday, they announced a regional stay-at-home order as well, and that all ties back to 
ICU capacity and monitoring our hospital capacity here statewide. Um, rather than the county by county tier system, uh, they have modeled it after regional hospital capacity. So here in Nevada County, we're a rural community. Our hospitals definitely are reliant on hospitals down the hill and really have an interconnected system of care um, to be able to meet every medical need that a resident may have. Um, we belong in Nevada County to the greater Sacramento region, which has not hit that uh, below 15% capacity yet, but we are close. And this week, since it's Tuesday, uh, we are still in the counties, uh, the states, excuse me, purple tier, uh, widespread purple tier for COVID-19 guidelines, um, restrictions, and protections against COVID-19, which outside of the regional stay-at-home order, which was just recently implemented uh, for a lot of Southern California under the statewide order, um, the purple tier is the most uh, restrictive order that's in place. But we're not there yet when it, when it comes to the stay-at-home order at this point. That is correct. We are not there yet. Um, we are currently sitting at 18.8% ICU capacity for our greater Sacramento region as of a state update today. Um, you know, I think it's likely that our region's ICU capacity could drop below that 15% mark sometime this week. Um, but, you know, we do plan to proactively communicate if and when that does happen. Uh, using some of our emergency alert notifications. The state has used some for some of those Southern California areas, so people may have heard about uh, family members or friends in the Southern California area who have maybe received these alerts, um, and we're also planning for that not only at the state level but locally with Nevada County Office of Emergency Services as well. So they will. it'll be a lot like... Um a PSPS alert. It'll it'll come it'll come directly to you, and you'll find out on your cell phone and other ways. Yeah, it'll be similar to a PSPS alert. Um, the alerts that people are familiar with receiving during a PSPS event would be coming from PG&E directly, but could be uh, to your phone via text or email. Uh, with Nevada County OES, uh, we use the Code Red Emergency Alert System. A lot of people, hopefully, are subscribed to our emergency alerts, and we send them out when there's a call to action. So there's an action that we want residents to take to protect their life and safety. Um, you know, with the rates of COVID-19 spread right here, that's currently part of our decision-making process with OES and the state right now, too, deciding to send out a statewide alert. So um, again, it could be that you get it over text, you could get a phone call, you could get an email, you could get all three of the above. Uh, but if and when Nevada County moves into that regional stay-at-home order, we are planning to communicate with residents that way. And I also think it's important to note, since we are talking about, you know, there is a possibility of us moving into this under 15% ICU capacity for our region any day now, if not within the week. Um, so once this is announced by the state, counties in that region would move into the regional stay-at-home order by 11.59 p.m. the next day. So it does give um, businesses, community members, a little bit of time to plan for the transition as well. 
Well, Taylor, that's um, all the time we have for today. But just very briefly, um, what should people do if they test positive? Yeah, so, you know, testing positive, there are really important steps people can take to limit the spread. Please go to our website, mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus. If you've tested positive, you'll want to follow the isolation guidance posted on our website and share the quarantine guidance with your close contacts. So again, mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus. It'll give you the resources you need to limit the spread. And also for employers, we have workplace exposure guidance. So if there is an exposure there, uh, resources again to let you know how to handle that to limit the spread in our community and um, operate your business safely during this pandemic time. Taylor Wolf, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR, and and feel free to contact us at any time that you have something you'd like to share with the public. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, welcome back to KVMR, Steve. Steve, I, let's think uh, big issues today. What okay. are some What are some really big water issues that you see as groundbreaking at this time? Well, a, a huge one is Arizona and the Colorado River. Imagine if you are an uh, Arizona farming district or maybe a municipality, right? And, of course, you're always looking for water over there because there isn't that much water. And then you find someone that has found a way to be more efficient, and that means uh, they're using less water. And that means that water could be available to you. All right? This would be a huge find. This is really happening right now for the Colorado River Indian tribes. The, the tribe irrigation systems dated back to 1870. So it's an old, old system and it has canals that are unlined, uh, many of which we even have up here where people have seen it. There are gates uh, which allow water to flow from one part of the canal to another. They're falling apart and, and they're leaking. They're, so there, there's a lot of waste of, of water. And the way that their water rights have traditionally been written for the tribes is that they are not allowed to lease, exchange, or store water underground. Well, that puts a lot of limits on things. Well, now there's some, uh, there's a a bill, a proposal uh, that's in Congress that might change that, and we're talking about a lot of water here. the uh, The amount of water that they're talking about could feed the city of Phoenix, Colorado River water entitlement. That that's like 150 thousand acre feet. That's a huge amount of water. So this is a big thing. And right now. There's a proposal going through Congress that might allow that to happen. Then, Steve, I suppose there are current situations that are disasters in the making unless we come up with new strategies and plans. There is. I mean, look at the city of Las, Las Vegas. Okay, it's, it's one of those situations that you're describing. The Colorado River provides, God, more than one in 10 Americans with water. Okay, we really rely on the Colorado River for a lot of stuff. And we, we find now that we're, our demands, of course, continue to increase as people increase. And that means, uh, if you count it out, that means that by 2040, 
we're not going to have enough water coming from the Colorado River to feed uh, the needs that are 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 present in Arizona and Colorado and California and so forth and so on. Now, the way Las Vegas in the past has dealt with stuff was through conservation, and it's it's been you know it's offset these increased demands. They've they've done a great thing. The, the problems first started to arrive in Las Vegas in the late 1980s, as the water level in Lake Meads began to drop. And at that time, uh, they were told, hey, you're, the Las Vegas water is going to run out in 1995. So that was, that was you know, 10 years or so uh, from when they first noticed it. Well, what they did in Las Vegas is they went ahead and they purchased other water rights in the more rural areas of Nevada. And that helped them out for a while. But then in 2002, uh, the Colorado River started producing like 40%, less than half of its, its average flow. And so that meant that Lake Mead was was dropping. Its water levels were dropping. And, and of course, Lake Mead is is the lifeline for Las Vegas. So that really uh, was a problem for Las Vegas. Well, Las Vegas got really, uh, 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 they did some fantastic things. They were thinking outside the box. They, they started these recycling programs uh, to recycle indoor water. Initially, but they realized very quickly that 60% of their water use is not inside. So there's somewhat of a limitation to that. You know, you can only change out so many toilets. They have outside, they have fountains, they have vegetation that's being uh, provided water and and gardens and lots of irrigating uh, golf courses, things like that. So they started this water smart landscape program with financial incentives. So they suddenly were able to replace grasses with indigenous plants. On some new new residents, they would not have any turf at all, nothing, or less than 50%. There were ben- financial benefits for that. And they were, uh, here's, here's not a little thing, but it meant big things. They encouraged people to go to the car wash. Don't do it on your own. And the reason why is you recycle the car wash water, but you don't at home. So they really were thinking outside the boxes and, and looking at golf courses they ended up saving at the golf courses an equivalent to nine golf courses. All right, so they saved a ton of water by just improving their their methods. Uh, conservation has been been a big deal. So now, the city of Las Vegas they have a fifty year sustainability plan. We don't have that here, and many states don't have that, but they do there, and they visit it every year. Their goal is to reduce uh, to go from one hundred and thirteen gallons per day per every person down to one hundred and five. Uh, by year 2035, so I hope I hope they can do it. But uh, at the same time, they're expanding their population by about 4,000 people every single month, and they know climate change is happening, and it's um, it's it's tough. And sometimes people do push back from these conservation uh, requests, so it's tough. Conservation practices are their greatest hope, but it really depends on the will of the people to. Uh, find more ways to save water. Steve, well, what big issues do you think uh, that we have up here in the foothills at this time and for the near future? Right. Well, I mean, we are in a wonderful part of the state, which has a lot, an abundance of water. But even in those areas, there are vulnerabilities. I would say that really without a means to store more water, you know, NID, to store more water, somehow, you know, nobody, a lot of people don't like the uh, dams and reservoirs, but there, there are other ways, but we really have to look at that. Uh, we need to store more water. Otherwise, our city water is going to, our pipe water, it's going to be experiencing limitations. 
we'll get down the, at some point to 50 gallons, 55 gallons per person per day. We're used to having 100, 120 gallons per person per day, okay? So that's a serious uh, decline. That could happen if we don't have water uh, in our snowpack, which is predicted, and we, we, see it, we see it happening now. We're seeing it with our eyes. So uh, that's one big thing that's going to affect lifestyles up here. And then the other would be the groundwater wells. There will be a percentage of wells that are going to be losing their source. And uh, you never know who because each well is, has a different vulnerability. And so uh, those are the things we need to look out for. But, you know, we'll talk more about these some other time. Well, I do have one more question for you. Um, the Centennial Dam, of course, has been proposed and has been followed up on to a considerable degree. Right. That's below Nevada City. How could that possibly help us up here? Well, you'd have to pump it back up the hill after it's been treated. That's that's really the the only way. It's it's all about conveyance and and, and how economical that can be made. And and so uh, and and with with if that was actually expedited, there would be a cost for it. So expect to have an increase in cost of your water uh, if that type of uh, mitigation or that type of conveyance was was built because it would certainly cost more for water. So in terms of storing more water that would be available for Nevada City and probably Grass Valley, we're, we would be talking more about more storage up in the mountains and themselves. I mean, the only alternative area to store, in my view, would be groundwater aquifers that are located down gradient. So we'd have to have some sort of... Uh, uh, arrangement where we provide water to those groundwater basins in turn for other water to maybe be uh, uh, reconveyed and come our way instead of going to where they're going. It, it, you know, it, it's moving it's moving coins around the table, you know, in, in Las Vegas. That, that's kind of how it kind of feels like it's working at times. But it would have to be that type of thing where, okay, I give this to you and your ground, I'll replenish your groundwater supply if you do this for me from waters that you have that are higher up from Nevada City. If that even exists, I don't know the details. Well, it's something to think about. Anyway. Oh, yeah, many things to think yeah. about. Steve, thank you so much. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with our water guy, Steve Baker, on KVMR. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Tuesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we're going to air a special program produced by the Transition Times. This will be a program with artists telling their story of life in the pandemic. And at 7 o'clock, we'll have Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out this evening's newscast, we have a commentary with Mark Cunaberti. 
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cuniberti. The big question on minds of investors is, can this stock rally keep going? The Dow was busted through its all-time high and crested the major milestone of 30,000. This historic move has occurred while arguably the U.S. economy, because of COVID-19, is the weakest it's been in decades. Many are asking how can this be and how does it make any sense at all. The long and short of it is there are two very good reasons why the market is exhibiting such rally optimism in the face of such economic realism. The wall of money the U.S. government threw down mid-year in the first COVID rescue package was over $2 trillion in giveaways, loans, backstops, and reimbursements. Few people comprehend just how much money that is. A billion is a thousand million. A trillion is a thousand billion. The phrase wall of money is an understatement. Calling it a tsunami of money would be more like it. Indeed, it is the most money thrown anywhere in the least amount of time in world history. Reason number 1A is there's a second tsunami in the works, and it may be even more than the first one. When a trillion or more is thrown into an economy, there is absolutely no chance some of it will not pop up in the stock market. Much of it will find its way into stocks, and it has. Throw a many a trillion into it, and a new market high is not so much of a surprise. The second reason for the market's surprising ascent is the realization the world will reopen once again after COVID is under control. Wall Street loves its comparisons, and once consumers hit the streets unabashed, the money likely spent will be massive as pent-up demand from shut-in consumers floods out into every conceivable nook and cranny. Indeed, in the opinion of this analyst, corporate cash registers will overheat trying to keep up with the pace of spending. It will be that fast and furious. That said, many are still scratching their heads trying to put some sense to a market in super rally mode, while the underlying economy and its subsequent unemployment is reflecting our dismal reality. Indeed, the cross-currents are significant, yet the markets only on occasion reflect the contradictions. With a new president bound for the Oval Office, it only adds to the renewed hope and anticipation of good things to come. Many are asking what the Biden economy will bring. I think the term the by them economy is more appropriate. My opinion, of course, as to the clue of which way I think this market will go. Although the Dow was at a then all-time high right before COVID hit early in 2020, and many guessed it was running out of steam back then, with an estimated $5 trillion destined to line consumer and business pocketbooks in the next round of rescue packages, courtesy of Uncle Sam, it's hard to imagine that much of that money won't again find its way into the Wall Street market. To say there are no risks lurking about in the coming recovery would be a mistake. Much could go wrong in the weeks and months ahead that could make an all-in stocks posture a risky proposition. COVID could not fully cooperate and stubbornly hang around in various capacities. The economic damage could be worse than calculated. The restart of the economy could cause unforeseen problems or inflationary fires could rage into an inferno because of all the money that has been created to fund the various rescue packages. Indeed, one doesn't print up $5 trillion very often and toss it into an economy within a year's time, if at all. In fact, it's never been done, at least with that amount of money. And what happens when that amount of money is tossed into the world's largest economy is anyone's guess. In many aspects, the U.S., and indeed the world, is in uncharted waters. That the stock market thinks everything is predictable going forward is at least, for me, a bit concerning. That said, it is in my opinion that an 
all in with no hedges or protection commitment into the stock markets is not recommended, at least at this juncture. That's it for today's Money Matters. Opinions expressed here are my opinions only and not those of any bank or investment advisory firm. Nothing stated is meant to ensure a guarantee or be construed as investment advice. Investing involves a risk and you can lose money. Consult a qualified financial advisor before making any investment decisions. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and am a Medicare agent in California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Greenberg. And that's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, we have the Transition Times, a special program that will look at artists telling their stories of life in the pandemic. And at 7 o'clock, we'll have Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening, folks. I'm Paul Emery with KVMR.